Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah. Wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Nawaila ta'alamu wa ta'alimu wa tadhakura wa tadhkiru wa naf'a'u wa lintifa'u wa ifadatu wa istifada. Alhatta ala tamasuki bi kitabillahi wa sunnati rasulihi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Wa dua ila al-huda wa dalalata anun khayr ibtigha'a mardatillahi wa wajihi wa qurbihi wa thawabi. Bismillah. Uh, ask Allah to give us tawfiq in this uh, venture and to make it a means by which we can come to a uh, correct and reliable understanding of how it is that we can purify ourselves and prepare ourselves for prayer and engage in the salat uh, in a way that is acceptable uh, according to the madhab of an Imam Al-A'zam Abi Hanifa Al-Nu'man Radiallahu Ta'ala Anhu So um, This work uh, I had mentioned to Sidi Nu'man That this work in particular I don't actually Have ijazah in But it's very similar to another one That I do and uh, it's from the scholars of Al-Ahsa, Imam Ibrahim ibn Hassan al-Mullah, radiallahu an. Some of you probably know that Al-Ahsa is a place in Saudi Arabia, what is known as Saudi Arabia today. And um, it has been a, a place where the four madhabs have been studied for many centuries. And the Hanafi school is not an exception to that. They have many great Hanafi scholars there. Ibn Anjad, generation after generation. And uh, kind of like the more prominent one that's that's there now is the one who, it, on the bottom it says, with commentary based on the explanatory notes of Shaykh Yahya bin Muhammad al-Mullah, uh, Hafidhullah. He's the one who's there now. So... Uh, you know, doing a lot of service to the works of his family of previous generations. So there's a similar work to this one that's also been translated in English, but it's not in PDF form, and it doesn't have the very nice notes that this one has. That's called It Hafid Talib. A very similar kind of um, name, even the gift to the student, and uh, uh, so this. This work will cover basically Tahara and Salat and it has the text Arabic and English side by side and then it has the text with the uh, with commentary that's based on other works. So alhamdulillah I read the other text at Hafid Talib on Sheikh Walid Sayyid Hafidhullah in Egypt and uh, he read it on Sheikh Yahya. So I have some level of connection to uh, the text, although it's not direct. So he starts with, uh, or the translator starts with this, um, these lines of poetry, uh, where Sheikh Muhammad ibn Ahmed ibn Abdul Rahman ibn Abdul Latif, Rahimahumullah, said, "Tuhfat al-Mubtadi yuhqu bi antur tur tur." قم بالتبري أو بماء العيون كم أفارت فوائد كل كل من كان 
بها يعتني وكم من فنون وكذا شرحها لمن هو يكنى بابن عبد الرحيم ذا التبين تبيني so it says tuhfat al-mubtadi deserves to be written with gold or tears how much did all those who paid attention to it benefit and in how many sciences did it benefit us likewise its commentary by the one whose kunya is ibn abd rahim the possessor of clarity so basically it's it's a line of poetry emphasizing the importance of the work um, i'm going to read this little point in the beginning that the author, Sheikh Ibrahim ibn Hassan al-Mullah said, Seeking knowledge is an action which is of no benefit without sincerity. It is not befitting for a sane person to waste his life in an action which does not benefit him. Thus he should strive to purify his intention for seeking knowledge for the sake of Allah. This is by the student making the intention for gaining the pleasure of Allah, the next world, and removal of ignorance which the sacred law and intellectual and intellect hold to be repugnant from himself and all those who are ignorant. He should also intend the revival of the religion and preserving uh, and preserving of Islam for the preservation of Islam is by means of knowledge. Taqwa, worship and traveling to Allah is not correct when one is ignorant due to that which is related in some reports that ignorance is closer to disbelief than the whiteness of the eye is to the black. We ask him, Subhana, to guide us to the path leading to him and to bless us to travel towards him in the manner that he is pleased with by means of his generosity and kindness. Allahumma amin. So this is a good reminder in the beginning that any act in general in our religion, as you well know, uh, requires sincerity and, and to be done in a way that is in accordance with the sunnah of the Prophet wasallam. And so in the beginning... Uh, we remind ourselves to have that sincere intention and we ask Allah to give us tawfiq in being able to do that. Allahumma amin. <coughs> then here you have the chain of transmission of Sheikh Yahya himself. Um, and the table of contents. So what we'll do I'm not going to read the formatter with you. We'll we'll go straight to the metin. You can read the other stuff uh, on your own time, inshallah. What I'm thinking we'll do is we'll go. To, we'll read the metin, and uh, as we read it, I'll share some comments on it, and then after we read, like one section at a time or one piece at a time, then we'll go to the commentary, so that. Um, it will have a little bit of repetition built into it rather than like reading the whole metin and then going to the commentary where we will have forgotten some of the details probably that we covered in the metin. Uh, the metin is just the, the basic text. So this way we'll repeat things before we move on from them because there's two things that are kind of like really, really important in this uh, early stage of studying fiqh. One of them is to properly conceptualize the issue itself to to really kind of get a grasp on it and uh, the second is to commit them to memory at some level I mean, doesn't necessarily have to be rote memory although I'm sure many people of knowledge would consider that to be extremely important um, but it can also just by repetition oftentimes 
things start to settle into the memory. So that's inshallah the method that we will follow. So and there's some nice appendices also, as you can see here, some of the adhkar, some of the virtues of an ahsa, scholars of the Mullah family, the wording of the salat, so on and so forth. You can see those. So don't be overwhelmed by the length of the PDF because like almost a third of it is these appendices. Okay. So Bismillah, this is the front matter. You can read that inshallah on your own time. The Metin. So, قَالُ الْمُسَنِّفُ رَحِمَهُ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى وَنَفَرَ اللَّهُ وِيَاهُ بِعْلُومِهِ فِي الدَّارِينَ أَمِينَ بِسْمِ اللَّهِ الرَّحْمَنِ الرَّحِيمِ الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على نبينا محمد سيد المرسلين وأفضل خلق الله أجمعين وعلى آله الطيبين وصحابته الأكرمين وعلى تابعين لهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين أما بعد He says in the name of Allah the most merciful most kind all praises due to Allah, Lord of the worlds. Salutations and blessings be upon Prophet, our Prophet Muhammad wasallam, the Master of the Messengers and the most superior of Allah's entire creation, and upon his good family and noble companions and those that follow them with goodness till the last day to proceed. فَهَذِهِ نُبْذَةٌ يَسِيرَةٌ مِنْ أَحْكَامِ الصَّلَاةِ That should say يَسِيرَةٌ من أحكام الصلاة لا يستغني المكلف عنها إن قصرت همته عما هو أوسع منها مسمات بتحفة المبتدئ وهو المسؤول سبحانه أن ينفع بها المسلمين وأن يجعلها خالصة لوجهه الكريم إنه نعم المولى ونعم المعين So he says this is a brief simple text regarding the rulings of the prayer called the beginner's gift which the legally responsible person who lacks the resolve to study that which is more detailed than it cannot do without. He glorified as he is asked to benefit the Muslims by this text and make it solely for his sake. Indeed, he is the best master and best helper. Amin. So, <coughs> as, as is the standard uh, behavior of the authors of any work in Muslim history, Starts with Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim and Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. There's many varying narrations as to the importance of starting with these two texts um, of varying levels of authenticity. But basically, there's different narrations that essentially say that if one does not start with Bismillah or one does not start with Alhamdulillah, then that thing that they are trying to do will be cut off and will not have the support and um, aid that they would get from Allah had they started with those things. And so oftentimes you'll see people start with the Basmalah and the Hamdalah. As I'm sure you are aware, the Basmalah begins, uh, it's, it's an incomplete sentence. It requires a level of uh, insertion. So, in the name of Allah, the most merciful, the most kind, what? So you could say, reading in the name of Allah, or in the name of Allah I read. Um, my reading is in the name of Allah, and the name of Allah is my reading, to make it 
a noun-based or verb-based sentence in the Arabic language. But the point is you have to insert something. And they say one of the wisdoms of that is that it causes us to be constantly mindful as to what we're doing. You can't just go by rote uh, and, and not really pay attention, but there has to be some level of attentiveness to that which we are doing. Um, so, so we can insert that for ourselves, inshallah. What it is that we're doing, inshallah, bismillah, we're reading this text uh, to gain an understanding of the religion, inshallah. ورد عن النبي صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم أنه قال الصلاة عماد الدين من أقامها فقد أقام الدين ومن تركها فقد هدم الدين نسأله سبحانه أن عيانت على ما كلفنا به وأن يجعلنا في المهتدين ونقول وبالله التوفيق So this is the intro. It is reported from the Prophet ﷺ that he said the prayer is the pillar of the religion. He who has established it has established the religion. He who leaves it has destroyed the religion. We ask him, glorified is he for help with, with for help with that which he has made us responsible for and to make us among the rightly guided ones that we say and successes from Allah the following. Amen. Uh, the other thing that in the intro to point out is of course after the Bismillah and the Alhamdulillah there's Salah on the Prophet وسلم, and those who follow his way. And then he says that this is a book on the rulings of Salat. He doesn't say that this is a book on the rulings of Tahara and Salat, Tahara being purification. Because necessarily in a discussion about Salat, there has to be a discussion on Tahara because the purification is a prerequisite of the prayer. So in mentioning that it's about Salat, he's automatically included that it's about Tahara. And uh, he mentions that this is uh, the legally responsible person must know what's in here. The mukallaf. So the mukallaf is the person who's Muslim, who's sane, who has come of age. And so now this prayer is required for that person. And so they need to have this basic knowledge. So one of the things that's really important, I think, about a text like this what you find sometimes in the Hanafi school is that the beginning texts are extremely complicated um, and, and extremely detailed and very difficult in a sense. So like Nurul Idah is uh, you know, kind of commonly taught as a beginning text in the Hanafi school. It's really long actually and very detailed. If you go to the actual mutun of the madhab like the Mukhtar or Mukhtasar uh, Quduri. They're really, really long. Like uh, you know, they they cover every area. And they're very, very detailed, and um, they're difficult to teach as as a beginning text, actually, because they're overwhelming. Uh, the other thing with some of the mutun is that they don't always, um, because sometimes they're early. There might be tarjihat uh, that happened later that differ from those texts. So for example in Quduri and Mukhtar what's mentioned in terms of sleep and when it breaks wudu is not actually the Mu'tamid or the, the Muftabi in the Madhab. It's not actually the position that the Fatwa is on according to the later scholars. But here in this text you'll, f you'll find it uh, that way. Uh, the good thing about the other work that I had mentioned, it Hafid Talib is that 
it includes like a very brief thing on aqidah in the beginning and a very brief thing on tasawwuf at the end and it includes more than tahara and salat it includes the five pillars and it also actually includes some other areas of fiqh that commonly come up so um, that one's good for that but in any case these these are good texts texts to be able to study for ourselves and to be able to inshallah teach our families and like youth and stuff like that so it's very basic it says this is a simple text and we ask Allah to give tawfiq the Prophet said that that the salah is the pillar of the religion and it's what really kind of will hold everything together um, this cannot be overemphasized I think oftentimes we <coughs> tend to become very philosophical and really you know interested in these complicated discussions and conversations and so on and so forth and as it's okay to do that um, but our religion is one of embracing the opposites so at the same time that we engage in philosophical conversations and ideas and contemporary issues and so on and so forth we can't neglect those things that are absolutely foundational and very simple like we have to establish the prayer that's very simple um, take some resolve but uh, we cannot neglect that to the ex to the expense of the other one or vice versa so bismillah he starts alam uh, would anyone like to read the English? Anyone want to read the English? Bismillah. Okay, very good. Thank you. Uh, he doesn't give all of the translations here. I mean the commentary here with the definitions, but I'll mention them quickly, inshallah. Uh, and we'll go back to them in the commentary. So he's saying it has these various things that are going to be covered. Okay. So the first of those is the fara'id. Uh, and then the wajibat So in the Hanafi school There's a distinction between that which is fard And that which is wajib um, In the other schools generally There's just wajib So in, in our madhab The fard and the wajib Come together And that they are both required to be done And the one who does not do them uh, Is deserving of punishment and the one who does them is deserving of reward. The difference is that the fard is established by an evidence that is non-debatable. And the wajib is established by an evidence that can be debatable. And so the difference between them is not actually in the fiqh. The difference between them is more in the aqidah. Meaning to say that fiqh-wise, fiqh relates to the actions that we have to do. The action is the same, we have to do the fard and we have to do the wajib. Uh, but aqidah-wise, if someone were to reject 
and uh, something that's fard that would be an act of disbelief because it is established by non-negotiable evidence whereas if they were to reject something that is wajib then that would not be an act of disbelief it would be an act of fisk of corruption uh, because they have a little bit of wiggle room in terms of the evidence that's used the main difference in salah that's important is that if a fard is missed or left out then that nullifies the salah whereas if a wajib is left out then it does not nullify the salah it requires sujood asahu it requires the uh, prostration of forgetfulness so that will come later but that's the main difference there in terms of consequence they both have to be done but the consequence that comes as a result of not doing it differs because their level differs the next uh, thing here is the sunan the recommended acts sunan so in the Hanafi school this would refer to the sunan mu'akkada the um, the emphasized sunnas uh, the the other thing about wajib is that the Prophet ﷺ did not leave it the sunan the Hanafis would say are something that the Prophet ﷺ did the vast majority of the time and left it only rarely again the definitions will come in the commentary so you don't have to worry about them too much but uh, he left it only rarely and so the person who the sunnah we are asked to do we are not required to do and the person who does not do the sunnah they're not punished but they're blameworthy because it's something that the Prophet them used to do regularly um, in some of the books of the school they'll say that tarikuhu yastahiqu al-lawm wala yastahiq shafa'a it's pretty severe it says the person who leaves that sunnah they deserve that's blameworthy of them and they don't deserve the intercession of the Prophet may we all have it this is why you'll see many people from the subcontinent pray their sunan uh, of salat as if um, as if it's a fad, as if it's fad. you know they don't leave it that's because the sunan has in some sense a higher uh, categorization in the Hanifi school than perhaps in some other schools just the way that they understand it and the mustahabbat or the desirable actions they're things that the Prophet them did them sometimes he didn't do them sometimes so the emphasis is not as high inshallah if we do them with good intention we're rewarded and if not then uh, we're not blamed for that in any sort of way and it has invalidators things that will break the salah and it has things that are disliked things that would um, be blameworthy in the salah so those are the categorizations um, we'll continue up to the end of this section before we go to the um, the commentary inshallah so the fara'id of the salah he says fara'id of salat amal fara'id فَهِيَ عَلَىٰ قِسْمَيْنِ فَرَائِدٌ خَارِجَةٌ عَنْ مَاهِيَةِ الصَّلَاءِ وَتُسَمَّى شُرُوطًا لَهَا وَفَرَائِدٌ دَاخِلَةٌ فِيهَا وَتُسَمَّى أَرْكَانًا 
So <coughs> there are obligatory actions which are outside the form of the prayer and are called conditions, shurut, and there are obligatory actions within the prayer which are called arkan. So um, there's two types of obligatory actions. Some of them are not part of the salat itself, and that would be the conditions, and these precede the salat. Uh, precede the salat, and then there's the faraid that are inside of the salat itself, which are called the arkan, the pillars, the rukin, the rukin of salat. So the distinction here is whether or not it's part of it. So, for example, uh, which is it's going to list them for you. But things, for example, that would be an obligation that comes before Salat is to be in a state of purity, right? Uh, so this is an obligation. If it's not fulfilled, the Salat itself doesn't count. I, I haven't uh, correctly entered into the Salat. And then the, there's ones that are part of the Salat, which would have its own consequence. So... Um, <coughs> Things like reading some sort of part of the Qur'an. Reading something from the Qur'an would be from the obligations that are part of the Salat. <coughs> um, can you read the English, inshallah? Part of that is that then you're then you're part of reading the text too, right? So it's not only that I have read it to you, but you have read it to me, inshallah. Um, if you have any questions at any point, feel free to ask, inshallah. Don't feel like you have to wait till somewhere. But knowing that usually um, a lot of questions are a are answered as you go through them, but. Uh, <coughs> something comes up if there's a clarificatory point or a question you have feel free to ask inshallah so now he goes into the shurut of the salat the conditions of the prayer shurut al-salat fin qismul awwalu thamaniyatu ashya the first section first category is eight things taharut al-badin min al-hadithi wa al-khabith wa taharut al-thawb wa taharut al-makan wa satr al-awra wa awra wa istiqbal al-qibla so the eight conditions are um, the um, number one the cleanliness of the body from minor ritual impurity hadith and filth khabath. so this is a really important distinction uh, there's two types of impurities the first impurity is the hadith, which is a which is a uh, najis manawi. It's a impurity that is in the in the realm of meaning. It's not a physical impurity uh, per se. So, like, if a person falls asleep in a way, they fall asleep on their side, laying down, then that breaks their uh, wudu. So they wouldn't be in a state of ritual purity 
but nothing really actually happened. There's not like a impurity that is on them in any sort of way that's physically discernible. It's a concept, and that concept is from the concepts that breaks wudu, which we know by revelation. And that's the hadith. And then the filth is an actual physical impurity. So blood, um, vomit, you know, urine, feces, these kind of things are actual physical impurities. Uh, also known by the sharia. And they are on the physical, they can be in this case, number one, is they can be on the physical body of the person. What's really important about these two is that these are two different types of impurities that are purified in different ways. So the hadith is a ritual impurity that is purified through the making of wudu or ghusl, depending on the circumstances. Uh, the physical impurity of khabath is purified through cleaning it with water or some other agent along with water. So, uh, and they're not necessarily interconnected. They're interconnected in that they're both conditions for the um, correctness of salat, but they're not interconnected in the sense that if someone, for example, and this is a very common question that people make mistakes on, even sometimes people of learning, which is that if one is afflicted by a physical impurity, filth, khabath, that does not break their wudu. Okay? So the no uh, the books of fiqh they're very very particular. You won't find in the section on nawaqid al wudu on the things that invalidate your wudu, you won't find touching an impurity or being touched by an impurity. So if someone has like let's say um, your friend is gets a wound somehow, we'll keep it PG thirteen. They're riding their bike down the street. You guys are, you know, you've just come of age. You're like 13, whatever it is. And he's riding, this, you're riding your bikes in the neighborhood. And <coughs> I don't know. He falls, gets a wound on his arm that runs blood, not just a scrape, but it runs blood. And you go to kind of like help him with that or pit, lift him up off the ground. And in doing so, you get some blood on your hand, let's say. When you get that blood on your hand, that is an impurity that must be removed for the validity of prayer, but that doesn't break your wudu. That does not break your wudu. Okay, so I hope that's very clear. Uh, so this is number one. Number two is cleanliness of clothing. So to not have any of that impurity on your physical body, your skin, or your hair, whatever it might be, but also to not have it on your clothes, to not have it on the place of prayer, to cover one's aura, uh, you know, from just below the navel to below the knee, um, and this will come also in the commentary, to face the qibla, and that the time has come in. Sometimes this is uh, very commonly asked. You know, people be like, "Well, I thought the time was this, and then I prayed, but I found out later that it was five minutes before the time actually that I had prayed." Does that still count? 
It does not still count because from the conditions is that the time has entered and this is a non-negotiable condition. Some of them, actually there's some conversation. So like, what if I can't face the Qibla for some reason? Or mm, I don't have, um, you know, different things, but the time is non-negotiable. Um, uh, and it has to have entered It has to at least have entered Because before it enters They say like you have a dhimma Which is kind of like your bank account uh, And uh, And that, that That prayer doesn't exist In your bank account Until The time has come And so you can't actually fulfill it Until the time has come uh, so this is the next one Then the intention Waniya The intention um, um, Is obviously to make the prayer And the tahrima is the opening takbir And to the ears So um, This one also comes up a lot I, You know I'm, I'm teaching in an Islamic school now And I keep telling the kids But they don't really uh, let's just say sometimes they need some repetition That you have to make the opening takbir This is what puts you into the salat So if you're coming late And you're running and you're trying to get to the salat You don't just um, like just run up to the salat And go into ruku or, or go into sujood or something like that you To come, say Allahu Akbar Raise your hands and say Allahu Akbar And then from there Say Allahu Akbar and go wherever you need to go or Make the opening um, uh, Thanat And then go to wherever you need to go Then you go wherever you're going to go Okay If you don't make the opening Tahrima Takbirat al-Ihram Then you didn't enter into Salah Okay So these are all in the conditions Now let's go to the commentary I'm not really sure what page it's on But we'll find it um, And uh, re Review these so that we can remember them More easily Inshallah Okay So page 51 50 Page 50 Bismillah. So here he gives the text again. Same thing that we already read. Um, gives some commentary on the hadith that's mentioned there. Legal categories. So there's the fara'id. Um, the fara'id again are the obligatory acts that are in two different categories. The ones that come before and the ones that are within. The shurut and the arkan. And uh, the person who denies the obligatory actions is regarded a disbeliever. As we mentioned before Necessary actions, wajibat um, They're still required to do But the person who uh, denies it is still a believer The sunan is the highest level And they're recommended One is blamed for leaving them The mustahabbat are the desirable actions That, reward, that result in reward But there's no punishment or blame in leaving them Sometimes they are also called mandub. So part of the challenge here is what is a word referring to? Uh, 
mustahab? Is it mandub? Is it sunnah? So a lot of times people say sunnah, and that encompasses sunnah mu'akkida and mustahab, and also sunnah al-zawaid. Um, um, so these are all. Uh, it's important to kind of nitpick that a little bit. So in the realm of fiqh, when we say sunnah. In this case, in the Hanafi school, we mean that which the Prophet rarely left and that we are asked to do but not required to. But if we leave it, we're blameworthy. That's the definition of Sunnah, as we saw, right? Um, I mean, just to, I think, just to kind of emphasize that it's it's not required, but it's not just like you you completely leave it, you know. Like I I feel that there's there's a little bit of like a tarbuwi point in this, a tarbiya based point in this, which is that yeah, you're not required to do this, but the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam very rarely didn't do it, and as followers of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. If we're always leaving something that he very rarely left, then what does that say about our relationship with him? Um, and and that's why they also so oftentimes will mention there that, as I as I said in the beginning, that um, the person who who leaves these things regularly, they don't deserve the intercession of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So that's a heavy thing, obviously. Um, but that that would be the blame in it is that. To distinguish it kind of between the one below it, uh, which is the mustahab. Whereas in some of the schools, it's not really like that distinction is not always as clear. Allahu uh, Alam. So these are the Sunan. Um, and the mustahab. I was getting at something there. Ah. Uh, so, the word sunnah is has different definitions depending on who's defining it. So, this is how we define it in the fiqh. Because the fiqh is concerned about the rulings on actions, right? So, when we say sunnah as relates to an action, this is what we mean in terms of the ruling. But, if we say sunnah as refers to like the world of usul of fiqh, which deals with among other things, the types of things that can be evidences in the Sharia, not the action itself, but what can be an evidence, then when we say Sunnah, it means something else. It means uh, the statements and actions and approvals of the Prophet Because that's the part of the Sunnah that we derive rulings from, is his sayings and his actions and his approvals. Um, or if it's we're talking about the Sunnah from the lens of the Hadith scholar, then from the lens of the hadith scholar the sunnah is the action sayings approvals physical descriptions and character descriptions of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam because the concern of the hadith is to describe the prophet sallallahu in any sort of way so sunnah applies to all of those things my point in saying all of this is that when someone comes to you and they say brother it's the sunnah then you can very legitimately ask them if they can define the sunnah for you so that you can understand what it is that they're trying to tell you. 
because uh, it's not really clear. Are they telling me that it's a sunnah in the sense that the Prophet ﷺ did it? Or are they telling me it's sunnah in the sense that uh, it's something that I should do? And if I leave it, you know, there's there's blame in that, but there's not punishment in that. There's not sin in that. Um, what, what do they mean exactly? Because something can be sunnah and be required in terms of it's sunnah in the sense that the Prophet ﷺ did it. And it's required in the sense of the ruling of the action is that it's wajib. So an example of that would be witr. In some of the Hanifi books, they'll say that witr is a sunnah. But they don't mean by that that it's a sunnah in terms of its ruling. They mean it's a sunnah in the sense that the Prophet did this without leaving it. And so its ruling is actually that it's wajib in the madhab. And it's sunnah in the sense that the, uh, the Prophet did it. It's a little bit of a technical point, but inshallah it's clear. The point is that it matters which way you're looking at it from. In this case, we're looking at rulings on actions. So uh, the ruling on the action is, you know, do we get reward or not? Do we have punishment or not? Do we have blame or not? And so on. Mustahabbat, uh, we covered. It also has invalidators, which will come later. Things that are disliked or... Um, take away from the salah then the obligatory actions we already said there's shurut and there's arkan the pillars are arkan they're inside of the prayer itself within the prayer and the shurut are the conditions they come outside of the prayer okay conditions are eight um, and they usually some of these will come in more detail later on um, cleanliness of the body He gives you some evidences in the commentary here Which is nice Usually in the Hanafi school you don't really get evidences Until much later And then you have to kind of Do a lot of sifting through them um, But he gives you evidences here For these ones So the cleanliness of the body from Hadith and Khabath Cleanliness of clothes, cleanliness of place Covering of nakedness, aura, And facing of the Qibla uh, evidences are there uh, Intention That uh, We make an intention It's an understanding in the heart uh, As to what we are doing And uh, Takbirat al-Ihram Say Allahu Akbar Okay so that takes us to The cleanliness from ritual impurity Inshallah Bismillah We'll take a one minute Breathing break Massage your, massage your heads. Do whatever you need to do. Inshallah. I'm gonna grab for myself just a cup of water, if you would permit me.
Someone raised their hand. Alhamdulillah. Very fortunate to be able to spend time with you guys. I will not right now, <laughs> just because it's it's going to come. Um, it should it should come in um, uh, water purification. Uh, here it is, this section regarding purification from impurity. Uh, so it'll it'll come in maybe like a few more sections, inshallah. So we'll, inshallah we'll get to it, but. Um, Essentially, essentially, it is to wash it with water, and if it's if there's something visible, like a visible stain or something, to remove it if it's removable, with maybe like three washings and rubbings and twistings, um, and if it's not removable then they say that you wash it until the point where if you wring it out if you were to wring it out the water that comes out is not discolored by the stain so for example like blood often stains right so even if you wash it with water uh, if you don't get it in time and you don't use some soap or something it's probably going to stain but just because the stain is there doesn't mean that it's still impure if if one was to um, like twisted and see if the water when the water drips is the water clean if the water is clean then the impurity has been removed but we'll, it'll come inshallah so there's two categories you can make like a little chart in your head if you were to make a chart in your head in the beginning, there's impurities. They break into uh, ritual impurity and physical impurity, right? Hadith and Khabath. And then the Hadith breaks into Sughra and Kubra. It breaks into minor and major. And then the result of the minor would be Wudu. And the result of the major would be Ghusl. Ghusl. Ghusl with a Dhamma refers to the washing of the whole body and ghasl refers to the washing of a limb or something like that it's ghusl is the ritual bath and ghasl is the wash just regular washing of like you know your arms or your hands or whatever it might be so attaining cleanliness from minor ritual impurity is achieved by ablution and from ma major ritual impurity by ritual bathing by ghusl so ablution and ritual bathing we will do and ghusl Furud al wudu, amal wudu fa furuda furuduhu arbaatun. Ghaslun wajhi wa huwa ma bayna manabiti al shari ghaliban ila asfali al dhikn wa ma bayna shahmatay al udhunain wa ghaslun yadain ma al mirfaqain 
Could someone read the English, inshallah? Oh, let me finish this. وَيَجِبُ غَسْلُ بَشْرَةٍ لَمْ يَسْتُرْهَا الشَّعْرِ وَكَذَا يَجِبُ غَسْلُ ظَاهِرِ الْنَحْيَةِ الْكَثَّةِ So now you can read the English, inshallah. Someone else can take turns if you want. It's good if you take turns because then, like I said, uh, you will have read upon me and I upon you, inshallah. Okay, so number one is washing of the face, which is the usual hairline. The face is uh, actually in English and Arabic, it's the same, right? In Arabic, the wedge is ma, ma yuwajahu bihi al insan ghayra, or ma yuwajihu bihi al insan ghayra. That the, the face is that thing that the person faces others with, right? Same thing in English as in Arabic. So it's, it's that part that's, that's facing out. Um, so it's from the hairline, the usual hairline. So if you're losing hair, it's uh, it's whatever the normal hairline is, all the way to the bottom of the, the chin, the, the bone you have there. Um, so you wash all of that in between the two earlobes, this thing. And just in shahmatay al-udun is, is this thing. So uh, that little like piece right inside your ear. Y you know, up to your ear basically, you want to do that. Uh, washing the arms up to and including the elbows, so you include the elbow. Um, and that includes the hand, by the way. The yed is everything from the tip of the finger actually all the way to the armpit, that's why they have to specify. So the yed is from, in this case, it includes your fingers from the tip of your fingers to your elbow. Uh, there's a little bit of a facilitation in the madhab in this, in the sense that, as we'll come to later, order is not required in wudu. So, say you had like washed your hands in the beginning, but, or like maybe you, when you went to wash your arm, you didn't really wash your hand, but your left hand was washed in order to wash your right arm, and then your right hand was washed in order to wash your left arm. Because order is not required, that would still count, even if you, you missed it. Anyways, it will come to it. But washing the arms, including the hands, up to and including the elbows. Wiping a quarter of the head. So, a quarter of your head. It's basically like the size of your hand. Um, you, you may know that this is like the famous thing in, in the fiqh, that when Allah says, وَمْسَحُوا بِرُؤُسِكُمْ wipe on your heads the bat what does it mean and the Hanafis basically their position was that because it's not clear what the bat means only by the Arabic language then one must return to the Sunnah for clarification and we don't see from the Sunnah the Prophet's eyes and them ever wiping less than a fourth of his head and so that's how they understood it to be 
um, and then washing the feet along with the ankles so washing the feet along with the ankles the four fara'id of the wudu the absolute mandatory parts of the wudu in the Hanafi school are the four things that are mentioned in the verse on wudu يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا إِذَا قُمْتُمْ إِلَى الصَّلَاةِ فَاغْسِلُوا وَجُوهَكُمْ وَأَيْدِيَكُمْ مِنَ الْمَرَافِقِ وَامْسَحُوا بِرُؤُسِكُمْ وَأَرْجُوا لَكُمْ إِلَى الْكَعْبَيْنِ So these are the four things that are mentioned in the verse. Um, meaning if you are limited on water, you could do only these four things only once and it would be an acceptable wudu. It would fulfill the basic requirement of lifting your impurity then he says also at the end it is necessary to wash the skin not covered by hair likewise the outer surface of a thick beard so what he's getting at here is like say you have a beard covers part of your face and so do I have to actually wash my face there or because like if my beard is really thick there's going to be some level of difficulty in actually washing my face, right? Because to like really get that water in there. So basically what they say is if a beard is considered thick, if you can't see the skin that's underneath it. If you can see the skin that's underneath it, then that needs to actually be washed, which it will be if you do it. Um, and if, if you can't see it, then all that's required is to run, like wash the outer surface of the beard. Which again, if you are putting water to your face, it's going to happen. Um, it will come up in the commentary, but nonetheless, uh, the definition of washing, definition of washing is to put water on the limb such that at least two drops would fall from it. So if you were to take water and put it on the limb, then would if you didn't catch them as you're moving your hand and stuff like that would at least two drops of water drip from that limb if so then this is washing and uh, and wiping is just to have some wetness on your hand and wipe they say for example that it's very important that when you make wiping of your head you only wipe once even when you're following the full will do of doing three for everything when you wipe you only do one and one of the things they'll say in the books is that if one uh, wipes more than once, or if they were to wipe three times, then yasiru ghuslan, it becomes actually a ghusl, or a ghusl, sorry, it becomes a ghusl and not mas'h. So then they're washing rather than wiping, so you wipe once. Uh, that's the distinction they make there, okay? Um, and again, when we go to the commentary, there'll be more details. Take this kind of like, you're just drawing the shell and there might be some spaces that there's questions and things like that but you draw the shell and then we come to the commentary and it'll fill it in a little bit and then if there's still spaces we can clarify them inshallah um, let me just see where's the okay so we'll do this section again the recommended acts of wudu sunan and wudu so in the, just before we get into this sunan, there's going to be sunan and there's going to be mustahabbat. And um, there's a lot of kalam in the madhab on, there's a lot of conversation in the madhab on like, what is a sunan of wudu, what is a sunnah of wudu, and what is a mustahab of wudu. 
Um, very good question. So, uh, what is a sunnah of wudu and what is a mustahab of wudu? Some of them, there's some debate and they might go back and forth on certain things. We'll just go with what's in the text here and then some of that will come in the commentary. Uh, in regards to makeup, one of the questions here in the comments is a good question. Is in regards to makeup, does it have to be water permeable? Um, the, w the water has to get to the skin. So... I'm not really so well versed in in the details of makeup, but the rule is that the water has to get to the skin. So this often also comes up in nail polish, right? So this issue of breathable nail polish and um, whether or not it gets through. Um, but the, the point is that these things that are being mentioned, they have to be washed. The water has to get to them. So if the water still gets to the skin with the makeup on, then that's fine. Uh, if it's very, very thick and actually creates like a layer, almost like paint does, um, which obviously is what nail polish basically is, then that would be problematic in that the water needs to reach it. Uh, always here in this context, the question of breathable nail polish comes up. You can. Uh, Mustafa Omar, he's a local imam He did some research around this You can check it on his website if you're interested in it Mustafa Omar, I think it's MustafaOmar.com But basically he did like a science experiment You could do your own if you wanted to Where he took those nail polishes And he tested them and put water on them And see like does the water come through or not But um, You know We should try to be careful with these things You cannot wipe on like you, um, a common question that comes up is, if if a person like has wudu, and then they put nail polish on, can they and then they lose their wudu? Can they wipe on that nail polish the same way that they would wipe on like a khuf, a leather sock, which will come to in due time, inshallah. And the answer to that is no. And the reason for that is because there's a principle that. That that which is established um, I don't want to say in contradiction But outside of like the norm Then you can't make analogy on it So in this case the norm is that you wipe your foot Right, you. I mean, that you wash your foot. Sorry, the norm is that you wash your foot, and um, being able to wear the hoof and wipe over it is an exception to that general rule. So that exception, we don't use that as a foundation for making other rules because it's an exception. So you you can't uh, use it in that way. I hope that's clear. Um, Yeah, inshallah. Okay, so sunan and wudu. We'll go through the sunan. Um, <coughs> again, there might be some here and there on these. But sunanahu ibtida'uhu bit tasmiyah wa bi ghasli yadayhi ila rusghayhi thalathan wa siwak wal madmadatu wal istinshaq 
وتخليل اللحية وتخليل الأصابع وتثليث الغسل ومسح كل الرأس مرة وأذنيه بمائه والنية والترتيب المنصوص والولاء Okay, so these are really important. Notice that Hanafi school is actually very lenient in this regard. So what is the fard of the wudu versus what is the sunnah of the wudu? Very, very lenient. Um, so if someone can read these sunnah, that would be good. And then we'll go through them one by one. And then we'll probably stop because, wow, we've been going for an hour now. Okay, so we'll finish this. And then, inshallah, we'll... Um, We'll begin at the Mustahabat next time, inshallah. Can someone read the English? Okay, so let's go through these one by one. Inshallah, number one is, thank you, beginning the ablution with the tasmiyah. So that's to say, Bismillah. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Bismillah. Um, so it's recommended. If you start your wudu and you didn't say it, your wudu is still valid. And by washing the hands to the wrist three times. So this is mentioned in the hadith and the idea of like you'd have a, a pot of water basically, right? So before you put your hands into that pot of water, you would pour water from it and wash your hands three times so that your hands are clean before you put them into that water, okay? Um, but this is a sunnah act of wudu and it kind of precedes wudu in a sense, um, as does the tasmiyah, as does the... Well, not the, really the siwak, because the siwak, they say in the madhab to do it at the time when you get to the mouth. But to use the siwak uh, when rinsing the mouth, uh, washing the mouth, maldamada is to wash the mouth. You put the water in, move it around, spit it out. Rinsing the nose, put the water in. <laughs> breathe up a little bit, don't hurt yourself, and then breathe out. Um, combing the beard. Combing the beard here is the same actually word as both of them have the same word in Arabic. You see that? Takhlil al-lihya wa takhlil al-asabi'ah. Takhlil is basically to do this, if you can see in the image. It's to interlace, to... So, if you have a long beard, it's to run your fingers through the beard. Um, that's that's a sunnah, and to do that with the fingers. Now, this is a sunnah, assuming like with the fingers, for example. This is a sunnah, assuming that your hand, everything in your hand is getting washed without doing it. If this is necessary to do in order to get everything in your hand washed, then it's not sunnah anymore, it's fad, because it's part of washing the arm. Um, but assuming that the water is already there, just the act of doing that, um, like as you, you know, you wash the arm and then you get to this and you do like that, that's, uh, that's takhlil al-asabi'ah, and the Prophet them used to do it, so this is uh, considered to be sunnah in that regard. Uh, by the way, if you have a ring on, 
very important if you have a ring on. Um, if you if the ring is tight, it must be removed. If the ring is tight such that water doesn't get below it, the ring must be removed in order to make wudu, so that water can reach that place. Uh, if the ring is loose, meaning you can kind of like twist it on your finger, then it needs to be moved to make sure that water, it doesn't have to be removed, it just needs to be moved such that it's, you're sure that water got underneath it. Uh, interlacing the fingers, washing three times, so for the parts that you wash, to wash them three times. Uh, to wipe the entirety of the head, so we said that a fourth of the head is what's required, fod, and to wipe the entirety of the head, right, is, um, you know, you go back and then forward, is the, um, is the sunnah. And then to, so you, to wipe your ears with the same, um, with the same water. So oftentimes, sometimes you look at it, you're like, okay, and the ears with the same water, did they really have to say with the same water? Sometimes when there's like a really particular um, statement, it's sometimes because another madhab has a different opinion on it. So the Shafi'i school, for example, you wipe your head and then you get new water and you wipe your ears. So, but in the Hanafi school, you wipe your head, right? And then with the same water, you go to your ears and you wipe your ears. And then it, later on, it's going to mention the whole neck thing. Okay. And then intention. Obviously, that you, this is very unique, right? Like the other, the other madhahib. If you don't have intention for wudu, you don't have wudu. In the Hanafi school, if you have, if you don't need intention actually for the wudu to be valid, um, it's it's valid as long as you fulfill the f four fard. So, for example, if a person doesn't have, they're not in a state of purity, uh, minor impurity, and they go swimming in the ocean, they don't have any intention, anything like that. But they went and they swam in the ocean. All four of the limbs were obviously washed. The head was wiped in a sense, and then they come out with, they come out in a state of purity. Okay, everything everything that needed to be washed was was washed, even if the intention wasn't there. Uh, number twelve also, and all three of these last ones are are unique. Um, I don't know if the Hanafis are the only ones that hold them, but they're unique in the sense that some of the other schools very much differ with them. Uh, the order mentioned in the text, meaning to do the face, then to do the arms, then to do the head, then to do the feet. In theory, again, you it's blameworthy because you're leaving a sunnah, but in theory, you could like wash your feet. You could wash your hands, then wash your feet, then wipe your head, then wash your face, and you would have done everything that you need to do in order for the wudu to be valid and because the order mentioned is not a requirement you will have fulfilled the basic basic minimums of salat um, yes your question okay so that's a good question that's number 13 and we let continu continuity so basically it's saying that continuity is not required it's not required um, usually they define that as 
basically like you wash one part or wipe one you wash by the time you get to the next thing that you're washing the previous thing that you had washed dries up that would that that's usually like the way that they define continuity so um, if you for example were like washing your arms and your hands and then someone calls you and like you have to go tend to something but you come back and your arm is still wet that's still continuity but nonetheless it's not a requirement in the method so you had raised your hand again. Um, yeah, I was thinking about it while I was saying it. I've always heard it as it fulfills the requirement. But now that I'm thinking about it, you don't really technically usually wipe your head. If you were to like take a shower, you're not going to wipe your head, right? But it seems that like a wipe is less than a wash. And so it would fulfill it at some level, even if you didn't technically do it. Because we don't have like... For example, the manikis have this thing when you wash, you have to actually do delk, I think. Like, you have to rub it. We don't have that. Um, so what I've heard, like, in, in people giving fatawa and stuff like that, is that it does it does fulfill it. Although, I guess technically you're not really wiping it. So, uh, I need to make a note of it. Um... Actually, this is uh, some of these. To be honest, I might not be able to. I might not have the time to research them. But when we hit like a certain level of them, I'll send them to uh, Sheikh Walid, who I said I had read the other other text on, and I'll ask him them. So um, wiping. The head is a fart of water. Okay, so I'll make a note of it, inshallah. Okay, uh, any other questions? Before we close for today. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, if they want to follow the sunnah, then when something uh, dries up, you know, when the previous limb dries up but when do they really need to there's not really a limit on it in the, in the books as far as i've found so like <laughs> in theory in theory you could wash your face and you could wipe your head or no you could wash your face wash your arms wipe your head you haven't washed your feet yet right maybe you forgot maybe you thought you did and then like an hour later you haven't broken your wudu or anything and you realize Oh, wait a second, I thought I washed my feet, but really I didn't wash my feet. Or maybe, like, you're accustomed to 
having uh, wudu under your hoof or under a certain type of sock. And so you're used to wiping on that. So you just made your whole wudu and then you wiped on it. And then like an hour later you realized that you had warned them not on wudu. So actually your foot had to be washed. You realize like an hour later. Technically you could go and just wash your feet. Uh, assuming you hadn't done anything to break your wudu, you could just uh, go and wash your feet and like that would that would complete your, your wudu. Yeah, yeah, it can be. You'd have to start over. It's that that comes up also, like in, uh, you know, people always ask that question. Say I'm uh, I'm in the, I'm making wudu and I'm halfway through and like I pass gas. Do I have to start over? Yes, you have to start over. Because whatever you had, you broke. Clear. Okay. A lot of good questions. Mashallah. Tabarakallah. Okay, well, inshallah, we'll stop here and we'll continue tomorrow. Uh, I know it's it's probably a lot to do it every day, but the, what I'm thinking is that, you know, as we're in quarantine, I'm assuming you guys are in quarantine, shelter in place or whatever they're calling it now, safer at home, whatever, um, that maybe this is a chance we can try to get through something. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's like, at least for me now in my life that sometimes when it comes to studying these works of fiqh it takes like a certain level of sabr and uh, it doesn't usually last long for me so like if I can get through it get through like a certain chunk that's good because like I might have himma for that at a particular time um, but it might not last so hopefully if we can get through it get through some good a good amount that would be wonderful inshallah you know and again, we're gonna next time we'll continue with mustahabat, and then after we go to the mustahabat and the disliked actions, then we'll go to the commentary and we'll read it, and inshallah that will uh, reinforce some parts too, and also answer some of the questions maybe that might be there in your mind. Okay, wassalamu alaikum wa sayyidina Muhammad wa ala Assalamualaikum. <laughs>